It's really good to see you guys. So I, I'm curious, how many of y'all live in Paradise Valley? How many of y'all live in Paradise So a few of you, okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we had a little excitement with the fires and stuff like that. So, so grateful, uh, so grateful that no homes were lost and stuff. And, uh, yeah, but that was a little crazy. A uh, couple of things I want to bring to your attention. One of those things is this, is... Um, is it immediately after church? Well, two things, immediately after church. We have a, a, a Bible study that recently started uh, a couple of weeks ago, but that meets uh, immediately after church, and it's back down this hallway, uh, and, and they will be meeting in there. So if you'd like to be a part of a group to connect, grow, uh, Rich uh, and Carol Friedrich are, are leading that, but I want to let you know about that. Uh, the other thing is those of you who are part of the leadership team for Week of Hope, uh, we're actually going to be doing a short meeting after church. It'll be five hours long. No, just kidding. Uh, that's a good way to make sure nobody shows up. Uh, that's going to be in the surge room. But basically what we're going to be talking about there is we want to, first of all, we want to celebrate. Uh, we want to celebrate the good things that happened, and we want to, we want to uh, document that. Secondly, we want to talk about where's the low-lying fruit. How can we get even better? at loving and serving people in our community, people who don't know Jesus. And then third, what are those things that we need to really work on and grow as we continue to do things like Week of Hope in the future? So that meeting is going to be back here down this hallway in the surge room. So that's immediately after church. Um, some of you may have noticed when you come came in, a couple of you brought it to my attention. Uh, not that I didn't already know about it, but I have a broken window in the back of my rodeo. So yesterday, I was backing out of my driveway. I was backing out of my driveway, and I had been working on, on my message, and I'd been working on this, 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 this series that we're talking about, the book of Philippians, about uh, rejoicing uh, in, in, in the gospel, that there's joy in the gospel. So yesterday, I was going to go fill up my car with gas, uh, grab a cup of coffee and do some more work over at Starbucks. And I back out of my driveway. And as I back out of the driveway, I put my car in drive. And all of a sudden, I hear what sounds like a gun going off in my car. Now, I grew up around guns. I've, I've shot a lot of guns, and and, and I, I own some guns. I, I, since I moved to California, I don't really shoot around here because we don't have property, and we don't have friends who have property. But Back when I used to live in Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas, uh, I had family. We had, uh, we always had guns. We had places where we could shoot and stuff like that. But, but it felt like, and it sounded like, in that car, a gun going off, and uh, in 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 glass just shattered. I could hear glass uh, falling down in the back of my car. I could hear it on the back on the pavement right outside my car. So, what what you know? What do you do? What do you do? You, you, you hear something that sounds like a gun, glass shatters. What do you do? You, yeah, you duck, right? Yeah, no, no. Which, if you're a trained professional like me, what you do is you put your car in park, you get out of your car, you step outside, and you look, and you say, okay, who's shooting at my car? <laughs> in my mind, in my mind, I thought, that sounded like a gunshot. So I, I get out. Did I mention I'm a trained professional? Don't do that unless you're. I'm, if you're a trained professional in stupidity, it's okay to do that, okay? But I get out, and, and sure enough, what happens with tempered glass uh, is, is that sometimes, for no quote unquote apparent reason, 
sometimes, over time, you can get little tiny chips in it. You can have little things that happen to it. And over time, and I don't understand all the science behind it, but there are times where heating, cooling, there are other factors that enter in. But it can suddenly just explode and, and uh, or sound like it explodes. So yesterday, I'm thinking about, and I'm thinking about choosing joy and rejoicing in all things. And I suddenly feel really irritated. And I'm like, God, why would you let this happen to me? Here I am thinking about how to try to teach people about how to rejoice, and now my joy is being tested. Let me ask you a question. This is not for you to answer, but what does it take in your life to steal your joy? Okay? I want you to think about that. We already know what it takes to steal my joy. Not much, all right? But what does it take to steal your joy? And see, a lot of us, we're waiting for our circumstances to change, to be joyful. Are you with me here? A lot of us, we're waiting for our circumstances to change, to be joyful. That we choose not to be joyful. We choose not to rejoice because we don't feel joyful. We don't feel like rejoicing. Now, what I want you to consider this morning is that joy and rejoicing is protection. You understand what I mean by that? I want you to think about that joy and rejoicing, uh, it's protection. It, It is an attitude that you choose, not a feeling that you feel. See, we don't get to choose how we feel in a moment. We can feel all kinds of things. Sometimes we may even feel things that that if someone else knew what we were feeling, we wouldn't want them to know about that. Uh, But but, but, um, an attitude is something that we choose. We choose for ourselves. That we choose an attitude, and when we choose the attitude of joy, when we choose the attitude of rejoicing, it's protection. It's protection. Now, let me see if I can develop this. And I wanna, I'm going to do something really different today. I'm going to do something that I don't typically do when I'm doing a message. Today what we're going to do is we're going to go through and we're going to read through Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. But I'm going to read it for you in two different translations. Now, there's a reason for this. Uh, one of the challenges that comes from uh, when you're translating the Scriptures, like the New Testament, from Greek into English, one of the challenges, especially with Paul's writings, is that Paul writes these enormously long sentences. I mean, they are, they're just like huge, really, really long sentences. And sometimes when he's writing these really, really long sentences, he'll be making a point, he'll take a little digression, because it's important later in his message, and then he'll get back to his immediate point, And so some of that can feel really, really confusing. It can feel really confusing when you're reading it, but believe me, if you're an interpreter and a translator trying to translate the Scriptures uh, from Greek into English, it's even harder. It's a lot harder. And and normally when I preach, you'll hear me preach out of the New American Standard, or occasionally I'll preach out of the NIV. I'm going to read this text in two completely different uh, translations. 
And the reason why is the New American Standard is a wonderful translation. It just doesn't do a great job with this particular text. And the NIV is a wonderful translation. It just doesn't do a particularly great job with this particular text. Uh, And it's the reason why when you study the scriptures that I encourage you, if you're having difficulty understanding something, sometimes it's because the translators were having a hard time understanding something and trying to put it into English. And it's the reason that when you read the scriptures that there are times where there are sometimes you can read it and it's not a big deal and it just just kind of flows and you're right with the thought. But if you're having a hard time understanding something, what I would encourage you to do is go through and read two or three or sometimes even more translations that really helps you. So we're going to look at this, but what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how joy is protection and we're going to talk about the priceless value of knowing Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, in the English Standard Version, the Bible says this. It says, finally, my brothers. By the way, when Paul says finally, he doesn't mean finally like this is the end of the message. Uh, Sometimes when he uses the word finally, he's introducing a new part of his thought, or he's driving home something he's been trying to get to over the previous chapters. Paul says this. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you again is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. I want to pause for a moment. Paul says to write the same things again to you. He says, finally, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. What is it? What are the same things that Paul has been writing to the Philippians? Rejoice. Exactly. Spot on. Carolyn's right there. Over and over again, Paul has been saying, rejoice. In chapter 1, Paul says that he rejoiced in the proclamation and the advancement of the gospel. The gospel is the message of God's salvation that we have in the person of Jesus. In, in, in Philippians 1.18, Paul talks about rejoicing in the proclamation and the advancement of the gospel. In, in chapter 2, verse 18, Paul says this, he said, um, I rejoice and I share my joy with you, and I want you to rejoice and share your joy with me. Then a little later in chapter 2, verse 28, Paul says this. He says, I sent to you Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had been a member of the church in Philippi. He had been sent by the church in Philippi to, uh, to Paul, who was in Rome at that time in prison, with a special gift to help him and to encourage him and to serve him. And while Epaphroditus was doing this, he almost died doing it. The the people in Philippi heard about it. They were very concerned. And so Paul sent Epaphroditus back to them after he was healthy. And he said, I did that so that you would rejoice. So you would rejoice. And then finally, Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice how? In the Lord. See, up to this point, Paul has talked about rejoicing, 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 rejoicing. But now, Paul changes his language. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He says says this. He says, uh, to write the same things to you about rejoicing is no trouble to me, and it is safe. It is protection for you. How is rejoicing protection? I'll get to that in a minute. Verse 2, look out for the dogs. Okay? 
what, what's he talking about here? Look out for the dogs. Look, look out for the evildoers. Okay? Who are these evildoers? Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. The, the katatome. Now, that word is an important word, katatome. And, and it's, it's really interesting. When you look through and you read this, as the apostles, he says, look out, look out for the dogs. Now, remember, listen, I love dogs. What do you mean look out for the dogs? I like that. I look out for my dog. I take really good care of him. Look out for the dogs. Well, in the ancient world, people didn't own dogs as pets. No, you didn't have pets. You didn't have dogs for pets. Dogs were mostly, they were scavengers. They carried disease. They were considered dangerous. They were despised. And so Paul is talking about a people, and he's calling them, look out for the dogs. Now, that sounds like, you know, why would he call someone dogs? Why would he call someone evildoers? Why does he call them the katatome, the the, the mutilators? Uh, There was a group of people that Paul had been in conflict with for a long time. They're called Judaizers. They're called Judaizers. The Judaizers believed that if you were not circumcised, then you couldn't have a relationship with God. They believed if you weren't circumcised, you were hellbound. If you were not keeping, obeying the laws, you were an evildoer. And so when the Judaizers would talk about the Gentiles, you know what they called them? Dogs, evildoers. And what does Paul do? He says, look out for, look out for the dogs. The Judaizers are the ones who are truly the dogs. They are the ones who are truly the evildoers. They are the katatome. They are, they are those who mutilate the flesh. In 2 Kings chapter 18, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the katatome is used to speak of a group of people who were prophets of Baal. They were idol worshipers, and they were prophets of idols who used to cut themselves. They would cut themselves with swords and with, with daggers, and they would cut themselves as a part of their worship of Baal. And so what he's doing is he's calling these people who prided themselves in their circumcision, he's calling them not the paratome, the circumcision. He's calling them the katatome, the mutilators of flesh. And Paul says this. He says, he says uh, look out, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the paratome. We are the true circumcision, who aren't circumcised in flesh, but who are circumcised in heart. See, the heart is what really matters. It's what matters most with God. It should matter most with us. For we are the paratome, the the true circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. My ability to make my way to God through my good works. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh, though, though, I myself, I myself, Paul, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Now, at this point in time, you should be asking, okay, Paul, where are you going with this? What's your point? Paul says this, he says, if anyone thinks, the Judaizers, if anyone thinks, the Judaizers, the false teachers, if anyone thinks um, he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of Israel. 
meaning that he was not a descendant of proselytes, meaning that, excuse me, he was not a proselyte who became a follower, who became a, a Jew later in life and was circumcised later. But he says, I was, that the ideal day for circumcision was the eighth day. I, I, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I'm not a, I'm not a proselyte and I'm not a descendant of proselytes. I was the real thing. I'm, I'm from the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. One, one of the tribes that was considered to be one of the preeminent tribes because of their loyalty to the house of David after the splitting of the two kingdoms, the northern southern kingdom. Also, it was in Benjamin, in Benjamin, that the city of Jerusalem was located in Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin was the only son of the 12 sons of Israel who was born in the promised land. That there were a lot of things about Benjamin that made Benjamin special. And he was saying, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, you know, the Old Testament teaching, the Old Testament scriptures, as to the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the the strictest sect of the Jews, devoted to obeying 613 different commandments in the Bible. They, They were so devoted to getting every one of those commands right. As to zeal or passion, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And Paul's not saying he was perfect, but what he was saying is, is that if you go back and you look at my life and you look at these Judaizers and you look at my life in comparison to their lives, I guarantee you, you know, they're, they're, you're not going to find any dirt on me. None. Zero. And then Paul says this. Paul's making a point. When he's talking about all this, he's not bragging to... Um, draw attention to who he is. He says, but whatever gain I had in all of that, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I considered it all to be loss. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish, garbage, garbage, refuse, dung, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrections and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's a mouthful, is it not? Okay, did you follow all that? You got it all down now? Let's close in prayer. Um, No, let me read it for you in a different translation, okay? And hopefully you'll pick up on a few things in this translation that maybe didn't actually come through for you in the ESV. The New Living Translation translates it like this. Uh, By the way, just real clear. Some, some, some translations of the Bible use what's called formal equivalence in their translation philosophy. In other words, they try to come up with one word in English for one word in Greek. Okay? And they try to follow that all the way through. The only problem is, is Greek is notorious for sometimes leaving words out and using implied verbs. So it's really hard to do this and be consistent with it. But the ESV uses a translation philosophy called formal equivalence. They try to do a literal word-for-word translation. The only thing is if you speak another language, you know that sometimes word-for-word doesn't always get it said. Uh, I, I'm not 
Well, I studied a lot of Greek. I made really, really good grades. But it, it just, you know, I, I, when I was in Europe, I spent a year working in Eastern Europe, uh, learned to speak Hungarian. A word-for-word translation doesn't always work when you're trying to communicate. Now, there are other, uh, there are other translations of the Bible that try to use more of an idea-for-idea idea, uh, approach to translation. It's called One is called formal or, or uh, equivalence. The other one is called dynamic equivalence, looking for a dynamic equivalent instead of word-for-word, idea-for-idea. Now, the problem with that translation philosophy is that sometimes you find yourself interpreting more than translating. So both translations have their own problems, and both translations bring value in a different way. Well, the New Living Translation uses more of what's called dynamic equivalence in its translation philosophy. Did I lose you? Okay, if I did, I apologize. I just kind of want you to understand that we have a lot of different translations, and there's a reason why we should have more than one translation of the Bible when we're doing serious study, okay? When you're just doing quick reading, one translation's fine. New Living Translation says it this way. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, he just, they let go of that word finally, okay? Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, like rejoice, 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 rejoice. I never get tired of telling you things, and I do it to do what? To safeguard your faith. See, rejoicing is protection for your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved, the Judaizers. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, for Christ's sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends upon faith. I I, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I want to share with you four principles, if I can, based upon this text. Four principles. I want to try to drive this home, and I want you to to be able to walk out of here and and, and kind of understand what Paul's talking about, but understanding how this has relevance in your life every day. Uh, Today, I don't want to assume that everybody here is a Christian. There may be someone here today who's not yet a believer in Jesus, and I want to thank you for showing up today. There may be someone here today, you're not sure if you really believe in the Bible. 
I want to thank you for being with us today. But this is what I want to invite you to do. If you're not going to believe in the Bible, if you're not going to believe that God speaks to us through the Scriptures, then what will you believe in? Okay? Because I, I really think that you need to, to think about that. If you're not going to believe in the Scriptures, then what will you believe in? And if you're not going to believe in Jesus, if you're not going to believe in Jesus, then who will you believe in? I think, I think we need to think about those kinds of things. And hopefully today, and one thing I want you to understand about us as Christians is that sometimes we can be really, really petty about which translation of the Scriptures is the best translation. We get really petty about something that's really silly. Sometimes we can be really petty. Sometimes we can get upset about insignificant, unimportant things like the breaking of the back window of your car. But I want to point you to someone who's better than we are, and that's why we gather. Four things that this, this scripture teaches us that I think are really important for us. And the, number, the first one is this, is that there's protection, there's protection for our faith when we rejoice in the Lord. See, I believe that rejoicing is protection. I really do. I think that, that why is rejoicing so important? That, that rejoicing protects us from things like negativity. Does negativity make you a better person? No, it doesn't. Rejoicing is protection. It protects us from pessimism. Does pessimism make you a better person? The rejoicing is, is protection. It protects us from cynicism. Does that make you a better person? It protects you from despair. Does that make you a better person? It protects you, I believe, from depression. That the rejoicing protects you from runaway fear. It protects you from things that can ruin your life and, I believe, ruin your faith. See, what, 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 what Paul says in this text, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice. And if you have your Bible open, circle that word rejoice. In fact, you should circle it every time you read it in the book of Philippians because it's used again and again and again. Circle that word, but then right next to that, rejoice how? In the Lord. And underline those words. See, rejoicing in the Lord is protection. This is what I'll tell you, and I believe this is true. The less you rejoice and the less you rejoice in the Lord, the more likely you are one day to walk away from your faith. Did you know that? That the more you think you have the right to complain, the more you think you have the right to be bitter, or to be cynical or pessimistic, the more you whine and complain, some people think that's a spiritual gift, it's not. The more you do all of those kinds, the more you do fault-finding of other people because of the translation of the Bible that they use, uh, the more we're fault-finding and doing things like that, the less like Jesus we become. You know, all you have to do is go back and read through the first five books of the Old Testament and read the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers. The nation of Israel, God brought them out of Egypt. And what did they do? They whined and complained because it was so much better in Egypt than it was out of Egypt. And they forgot that they were in slavery for 400 years. Rejoicing is protection. It's protection for our hearts. It's protection for our thoughts. It is protection for our faith. Rejoice in the Lord. 
There's protection for our faith when we rejoice in the Lord. But in this text, Paul is addressing an aspect of faith that he was very concerned of with the Philippians. He was very concerned that the Judaizers, the false teachers and their false teaching, was going to hijack them. And so uh, the second principle is this, is rejoice in the Lord and beware of false teachers and false teachings. How do you know a false teacher or false teaching? Typically, they trust in things like rituals and rule-keeping to make us right with God. In, 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 uh, in Philippians 2, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 3, verses 2 and 3, Paul says, Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, those mutilators. For we are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That the false teachers of, of, of Paul's day believed it was through obeying the law and being circumcised that a person could be saved. And Paul's saying, hey, I mean, that's not going to get you anywhere. And then what Paul does in verses 4 through 6 is he begins to confront these false teachers. And he, and he says basically this, if anybody had reason to think that their religious credentials of rule-keeping could commend them before God, then my credentials are better than the Judaizers. That's basically what Paul's doing. That, that in verses 5 through 6, he, he lists seven different things. Four of those things that he inherited through birth, three of those things uh, that he made uh, that, that were through his own actions and, and what he did. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, descended from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, the strictest sect, of the Jewish people, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless, above accusation. And Paul is basically saying that 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 way of making yourself right with God just doesn't work. Is that that we need a better righteousness? We need a righteousness that comes by comes from God by faith in Christ. In our world today. We don't have Judaizers. I don't know if you've run into any Judaizers lately. I, I haven't. We don't have Judaizers. But what we do have in our world today is false teaching. So, for example, in our world today, what are some of the very, very popular teachings that you might hear that aren't necessarily true? Teachings like, like, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. As if sincerity enough is enough to get us into heaven. Now, let me ask you this question. If you are in an airplane and you are flying onto a runway, do you want the pilot to be sincere or do you want him to be on target? I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you want him to be sincere or do you want him to be on target? If you are in surgery and the doctor's got a knife and they're cutting and they're getting ready to remove something from your body, do you want him to be sincere in what he removes, or do you want him to be correct in what he removes? See, being correct, being sincere is important, but being on target is important too. You understand what I'm saying? That in the world today, a lot of people say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. In our world today, sometimes people say um, all religions are basically the same. Very, very interesting. The other day, I had the opportunity to sit, well, not sit, I stood, with a man who comes from another religion, and he explained to me why I was wrong, okay? 
He explained to me everything that was wrong about my belief system. And the truth is, everything he shared with me was in conflict with what I believe as a Christian. And he would tell you that Hinduism is very, very different from Christianity. He would tell you that. I don't say that. He would say, nope, nope. This is what's wrong with how you believe. And this is how you should believe. And at the end of the conversation, I said, thank you very much for sharing with me your thoughts. And I moved on. I wasn't going to try to argue with him. I mean, if he wanted to know what I believed, I'd be happy to tell it to him. But what I'm telling you is, is if you talk to someone who's a serious adherent of another religion, they will tell you that religions are very, very different. I mean, that Hindu would tell you that, that Hinduism is very different from Islam. It's very different from Buddhism, although it has a few similarities. And it's very different from Christianity and from Judaism. He would tell you that it's different. If you were talking to someone who is a serious Muslim and a devout Muslim, they would tell you that what they believe is very, very different. So this idea that all religions are basically the same, most adherents of those religions would tell you, that's not true. And if you go through and you just do a little bit of reading, you'll begin to see that the, what they believe is very different in many respects. How they conceive of God, how they conceive of truth, how they conceive of salvation, very different. Um, another popular belief that you'll hear today, a popular teaching that I believe is a false teaching, is that God is like a mountain and there are many paths to the top. When I was a 16-year-old boy, I believed this. But I was 16. Okay? It made perfect sense to me as a 16-year-old. The thing is, is that this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, Peter goes on talking about Jesus, and he says this. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the Savior. Uh, Beware false teaching. Number three, third principle, rejoice in the Lord and choose the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ over the righteousness that comes through human effort and rule-keeping. Folks, if we were dependent on human effort and rule-keeping to get us into heaven, I will tell you who will go to hell faster than anybody else in this room. Okay? I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I mean, you know, I think sometimes we, we, we put pastors and we put people, spiritual leaders, and we put them up on a pedestal. And this is what I found. I've watched guys who are spiritual leaders, sometimes highly celebrated leaders, and I've watched them bite the dust one after another, after another, after another. The men I have tremendous respect for are guys like my father-in-law. He's 80 years old, still faithfully serving Jesus. The people I have respect for are people like my Uncle Jim. He's 90 years old. He's still faithfully serving Jesus. I hope and pray I finish well. I hope and pray that I don't disqualify myself from being a bully because I watched a man that I respect, who's a great Bible teacher, do exactly that. I hope and pray that I will not uh, disqualify myself from my ministry by being unfaithful to my wife because I've watched a man recently that I really look up to who's done exactly that. I hope and pray that I will not disqualify myself from ministry by misusing money in our church because I've watched a man, a spiritual leader, who's done exactly that. You know, folks... There are no Hebrews, or excuse me, no Hebrews. There are no heroes in the Christian faith except for one. And there's room for only one hero in the Christian faith. 
And his name is not Paul. His name is not Paul. His name is not Peter. His name sure isn't Gary. (laughs) Then we'd really be in trouble. But his name is Jesus. Folks, if we think that we're going to go to heaven because of our good works, because somehow my good deeds outnumber my bad deeds, that's like saying, you know, I jumped most of the way over the Grand Canyon, so I should be able to go the whole way. I mean, we got a Grand Canyon of righteous, unrighteousness that separates us from God. And what we need is not a bunch of rules. What we need is we need a Savior. In Philippians 3, Paul says this. He says, whatever gain I had from keeping all those rules, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count it all as rubbish, refuse, garbage. Scubala, or in the words of Jeff Goldblum, that is one great big pile of crap. All of my righteous deeds are like nothing in comparison to the righteousness of Christ. I count it all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends upon faith. See, that's how we're made right with God. Uh, Fourth principle. Fourth principle is this. When we rejoice in the Lord, when we rejoice in the Lord, And when we know Christ in his resurrection power, we will no longer have to fear suffering and death. See, one of the things that you see in the life of Paul is this. Uh, Philippians 3, uh, verses 10 and 11, Paul says this. He says, I want to know Christ. Not just know about Christ, but know him. I want to know Christ like I know my wife. I want to know Christ as a person. I want to know him and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to experience his resurrection power in my life. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Through faith in Christ, not only are we made right with God, but we can experience God's mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. The only way that we can live or experience obedient, Christ-honoring lives is through the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. I cannot do it in my power. But we can do all things in God's power. Our obedience and rule-keeping does not make our salvation possible. Our salvation, our salvation by faith in Christ makes our obedient and Christ-honoring lives possible. When we know Jesus in this way, we no longer have to fear suffering and death. By the way, nobody gets through life without suffering, and nobody gets through life without death, unless Jesus returns before you die. But when we know Christ and his resurrection power in our lives, we no longer have to fear suffering or death. We can even welcome it when it's unavoidable, because we experience the resurrection power of God through faith in Christ. And we know that one day we'll be with Jesus in his resurrection. How is choosing joy 
and choosing to rejoice in the Lord, protection for your faith. There's protection, protection for our faith when we rejoice in the Lord. We, we need to rejoice in the Lord and beware of false teachers and false teaching who trust in empty rituals and rule keeping to make us right with God. We need to rejoice in the Lord and choose the righteousness that comes through faith, uh, faith in Him, faith in Christ, over the righteousness that comes through human effort and rule keeping. And when we rejoice in the Lord and when we know Christ in His resurrection power, we no longer have to fear suffering and death because we know that one day we will experience the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. God, you are a good God. You are always faithful. You, God, you are righteous in all of your judgments. You are right, and you are good when you judge sin. But you are not just, you are not just righteous in your judgments. You are also a God who is full of grace and mercy. And, Lord, we are so grateful for that. Lord, we want to, um, we, want, we want to learn to rejoice in the Lord in every kind of circumstance that we face in life. Lord, we want to rejoice in the Lord, and we want to be careful, be careful that we don't get hijacked by false teaching and false teachers. Lord, we want to rejoice in the Lord, and, and we want a righteousness that doesn't come through, through human effort and rule-keeping, but we want the righteousness that we have that's from you through faith in Christ. And Lord, we, we want to rejoice in you and we want to know your resurrection power in our lives. We want to, to know you and we want to experience your resurrection power in our lives so that we no longer fear suffering and death. And Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.